Hello, and welcome to ECNM On Air, a podcast series from ECNM Magazine that shares industry intelligence, insights, and opinions on all topics electrical. I'm your host, Ellen Parson, editor in chief of ECNM, and I'm here today with some industry experts to discuss trends in the electrical construction industry surrounding artificial intelligence. They're here today to talk with us about how this technology is already being used in the industry, what areas are in development that may maximize productivity, big things to watch going forward, and why, despite many people's fears, this technology isn't going to take your electrical professional job anytime soon. Today, we're talking with John Gilfoyle with Stanley Group, Josh Gillespie with Interstates, Dustin Schaefer with Henderson Engineers, and Aaron Samansky with Augmenta. I'm going to let our guests introduce themselves first briefly today before we jump into our discussion. John, would you like to go first? Sure thing, Ellen. Thank you, and thank you to ECNM for having uh, me on and putting this panel together for the for the topic. It's a it's a great one. Yes, of um, I am. I am Stanley's chief of technology and innovation. Uh, Stanley is an, a design engineering company, construction services company that does uh, work in sort of transportation, water, energy, federal, so cross market. About nine hundred people in the U.S. and offices around the world, and. Um, very much looking forward to the discussion today. Yeah, and thanks for having, having me on as well. I'm Josh Gillespie, work for Interstates as the director of our BIM and VDC department. Uh, I've been in the industry for about the last 20 years. Um, at Interstates, we're a turnkey electrical, industrial electrical company. Uh, so that means we take care of all the electrical needs from engineering, design, programming, the security, the OTIS side of things, uh, manufacturing, as well as construction. Uh, and I have spent a lot of time over the last number of years uh, working on our strategies and kind of where we're headed with the different technologies. Yeah. Hi, I'm Dustin Schaefer, Chief Technical Officer with Henderson. Uh, we're Similar to Stanley in size, uh, we're about a thousand person-ish building systems design and construction firm. Hey, I'm Aaron Smansky. I'm one of the co-founders and the chief product officer of a company called Augmenta. We are a technology startup. We're working on bringing AI into the construction space, specifically focused on design. So what we're doing is we're building tools that automate the design of core engineered systems. So really focusing on MEP systems, and as of today, we're primarily focused on electrical systems. So we've actually been working very closely with Josh and Interstates and the team there for the past couple of years now as our first design partner, um, developing that very first product. Okay, great. Thanks so much. I'm excited to hear everybody's perspective today. So thanks for joining us. Uh, so now that we know a little bit more about our guests, let's go ahead and jump into the discussion. Um, just to preface this, um, this podcast um, we've done this with several articles before. When an article is really, really popular, we will turn that into um, a podcast discussion when something's popular online or in print. And this is based on the article we ran last summer that was so popular, it garnered so many comments um, that we thought it would be valuable to extend that into an ECNM on air podcast chat. So um, the article starts off, it's kind of funny, actually clever, um, the, the freelance writer that wrote this piece. Uh, starts it with there's an actual real photo of a billboard in Belgium. I when I first saw it, I didn't think that was true. I thought it was a joke, but it actually I guess is real. It shows a downtown job site wrapped with a multi-story billboard that has "Hey Chat GPT, finish this building," um, and so it's used as a meme. And uh, but this could be evidence that many people actually consider AI 
you know, a huge threat, not only to the skilled trades, but also to humanity itself. So I thought that was a really interesting way to start out that um, article. So let's start in with, you know, chat GPT was released November 30th, 2022. Um, let's start with, um, could you explain what kind of AI tools, maybe just summarize, obviously this is a huge concept and would take hours to go over everything. Um, what tools are out there and what are they actually being used for in electrical design, installation and maintenance settings currently? Because those are our readers, the electrical contractors, electrical engineers, and also the plant facility people. Those are our three groups of readers. So let's just start with a general uh, introduction of that maybe. AI is a huge term, that, like so huge, it's almost not a real word. <laughs> it just applies uh -huh. to so many things. So like, I would say most of the AI tools that are being used are similar to like the Netflix prediction engine or, you know, this, you might want to put this in your cart kind of things where it's, it's matching things up and it's saying here, you might do this, right. Or here's the predicted next value in this series mm -hmm. or whatever. That's different from like chat GPT is generative, like making new things that didn't exist before. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'd say most of our industry is on the, the predictive side okay. not on the generative side but interested in what everybody else thinks there mm -hmm. say so, yeah, i've seen a few a few different ai things going on around uh, a lot of visual recognition mm -hmm. so there's a, a company out there that you know read p and ids and then it takes all that data that it's pulling off of a pdf that you don't have the cad files for and some of that kind of stuff and it's kicking it out in, in an excel list or to whatever system you need to do that so you don't have people manually going through and typing that information in um, another visual type thing is even around installations on job sites so there's some technology out there where you know they've got their camera on their hard hat and then they're plugging it back through their visual recognition and lining that up with a model and saying oh well this this receptacle or this light is installed or this piece of steel is installed uh, drywall some of that kind of stuff um, some things to help help move that along, uh, speed things up, uh, so you don't have as many people. Uh, and then you know we're working on some stuff around the electrical design with generating different uh, conduit groupings, uh, or raceway groupings, raceway sizing, uh, even supporting the routing of that. Uh, just really trying to have an impact on the amount of time it takes us to get some of that stuff done early in a project and how we interact with those customers. So there's a few things. Yeah. There's not a lack of stuff going on with AI. That's for sure. Ellen, I, I would add, um, this is John for the listeners and you start, start to attribute voices to, uh, to names here. Um, I would add that if you go down a level from AI, there's all these different technologies that are, that are developing from like natural language processing to large language models to the computer vision stuff that Josh was talking about. And some of those are starting to combine and there's these multimodal things that are going on. And that's where I think things are going to get really interesting where you're going to be able to use the chat GPT style interfaces, right? Where you are able to converse with the platform you'll be able to converse with the engineering platforms eventually. You will be able to converse with the field tools and ask it things and have it perform tasks for you. We're at the very front end of that, where, where you know, the change I think we're gonna see over the next two, three, four, five years is gonna be mind blowing in terms of how these technologies evolve. Um, the research that I've been doing really shows that um, the right strategies to use now are to make sure 
switch models when you need to because the models are going to um, evolve so quickly. The capabilities are going to come forward, all that sort of stuff. So it's it's a it's a really dynamic space right now. For, it's probably you know, going to change by the time the we get done with this podcast. <laughs> it will all be different. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the news is drenched with it, right? And for good reason. There's tons of money being poured into this field. Mm -hmm. I would just add, um, you know, if you're thinking about the type of innovation that looks like what is in the public mind with Dali, with ChatGPT, I think you're seeing a lot more of that experimentation more upstream in the design process. So really on the architectural side, for example, these are spaces where it sort of works a little bit better with the behavior of these tools and these models where it's more expansive. It's more about uh, in generating inspiration or it's more about um, being able to take relatively simpler documentation, simpler compared to the very detailed documentation you would need to produce and procure. Um, mm -hmm. You're generally seeing a lot more happening up there than you are sort of where we're sitting, right? So looking at if I go to a trade floor, what am I actually seeing being applied in terms of AI? It really is the things that some of the other speakers mentioned. So okay. we're seeing a lot on the estimation side, so automated takeoff. But again, these are sort of things that are not quite in line with the, the big flashy innovations we're seeing, uh, again, sort of in ChatGPT and others. Okay. Well, that, that kind of relates to my next question. So I was going to ask you all about benchmarks. So is that like a silly question? Because are there any benchmarks yet? Is it too soon to say like, okay, anyone in the electrical space that is, you know, trying out AI technology, they are doing X, Y, and Z. Are there like typical things everyone is doing? Or is that, is it too early to even say like, what have been the big ben benchmarks so far? Yeah, I think it's pretty early. I think, um, Exactly what Aaron said. That a lot of the a lot of the big models that are out there are like inspiration based. Most of the use cases mm -hmm. are like give me more ideas, mm -hmm. and that doesn't pair very well with fabrication or estimating because you don't want like a new way to do it the second time you ask. You want, right. you want consistency around uh, like generation and transparency about how you got there. And um, I I couldn't say everybody should be doing this right now. I think what everybody's doing is trying to figure out what the good use cases are and how they're going to apply these tools to use cases, knowing that new tools come out every three days and you, have, mm -hmm. you get new capabilities every time you look. Right. I would add, Dustin, um, I think there's some things that people can do around strategy and governance right now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Probably represent like, um, you know, your, your base case of what you need to do to get going on this stuff. Whether you have a tiger team around something or whether you have, you know, the, the use of AI in the company assigned to somebody, it's going to become more and more important. I totally agree. There's no standard platform like the big players, the Autodesks and Bentleys of the world do not have this stuff figured out yet um, by any stretch. Um, the kind of companies that Aaron represents are really where a lot of the innovation is happening right now. And forgive me, Aaron, but man, there are a lot of them. So there are a lot to keep track of. And, you know, mm -hmm. we're looking in, Aaron, Aaron mentioned cost estimating. I think that's going to be one of the places that this really gets going is on cost estimating. We're looking at planning, design, construction services. And with the remit that I have, which is across all the other markets in addition to energy and the rest of the company, I'm looking at marketing. I'm looking at HR and, F and finance and accounting. And in those cases, I actually am already deploying large language model tools like ChatGPT, that style of, of tool, because you don't have the complexities of the engineering sort of products that have to be produced, right? If I can add to that as well, I think that 
this will, we would give you a very different answer in six months and then 12 months. And one of the things that you do see in chat GPT in that work is that every couple months, something is, uh, you know, we're seeing radical improvements in how these systems perform. So I fully agree. I think that even though we're really on the cusp of it today as an industry, you need to be looking at it. You need to be scanning that horizon to see what is emerging in terms of that ecosystem of new tools that are being built and what are things that I can start preparing for internally to make sure that I'm ready for when this does come. So on our side, even we are really in the earliest days of running our very first case studies around this. And again, I think that we'll be in a very different place in six months. We're really focused on that uh, detailed uh, design process. We're really focused on solving for that problem of being able to guarantee the output that our system produces so that I can confidently act on it. It's a very hard problem to solve, but again, it's something where it's really gonna go from just a couple pilot projects, whether we're the ones doing it or not, this is something I always say, but this is really where the industry is gonna go. It's something where I think really in the span of six or 12 months, you're gonna see a rapid uh, adoption of this technology once uh, it's proven its value. I wanna uh, double something that John said. Uh, something everyone should be doing is figuring out uh, your data infrastructure. Yeah, um, It's interesting when you read about things or when you talk to software vendors or people who do this uh, as a third party for a living, they assume that our data is much more structured and clean than it is as an okay. industry. Like it's really, really bad for the most okay. case. Yep. And so it's not, uh, should you hire a data person? It's what will <laughs> your data team look like and how do you build out that infrastructure over time and how do you plan for that expense? And it's interesting that you, you, several of you have talked about, this isn't just specifically for electrical, you're talking about HR and accounting and marketing and different things like that. I hadn't even thought of that. Like that didn't enter my mind yet. Um, it's all kind of overwhelming. Um, yeah. So moving on, uh, Josh, I, in the article, you were interviewed for the print article and you gave an example um, where you said uh, how you could have a hundred and some motors, let's say, and a hundred and some devices and AI is generating, this was your example, 13 different solutions in less than an hour. You could put your best team of five people on that, give them all an hour and you wouldn't even come close to what that's kicking out. Um, so obviously that's an enormous boost in productivity and efficiency. Um, so it, that's just one example of what you all are seeing. Um, could you speak to that? And you know, is that the main area that you're you're kind of focusing on right now? things like that in order to get productivity gains or um, are you looking more at big picture? Like I'm just trying to wrap my mind about around, you know, where we're at, how we're getting started. And, you know, I guess that's hard to say where this is going because it's changing so fast. Yeah, so I can speak about the uh, interstate side of that. Um, there are a lot of, I'd probably say pointed solutions out there that are kind of narrowed down in their focus and, and trying to solve one smaller particular problem. Uh, as we we started looking at what we were doing in the VDC and BIM world, uh, and you know what is the stuff that really adds value? What is the stuff that the client's really willing to pay for, and, and ultimately doesn't care how we do it? Uh, that's kind of how we define some of that. Okay. If they don't really care how we do it, they just want the the result. That task is probably a little bit more mundane. Uh, they don't care how we route the raceway right. or what tools we use to route the raceway uh, or you know, if this guy does it at this speed, they just care that the raceway gets into the model so that we can clash and coordinate and do everything else together, other trades and, and build their facilities. 
So we started to look at that and how we can, uh, the amount of time that takes, what are some options, some different ways that we, we can reduce that. Uh, and that's where we started on our, a lot of our AI journey here is, is working through that and taking a bunch of the different inputs, the different pieces of data, uh, figuring, figuring out how we could route the raceways, size them, support them, size the wiring, that kind of stuff, and do it really fast. Uh, so that then our guys can move on to some of the stuff that's more valuable, more productive for them to be focusing on. And we're seeing some pretty awesome productivity increases in that area. Uh, I don't know. We talked earlier a little bit about how, how this kind of caught on and everything is going crazy. I think there's a lot of companies out there that are looking at it from a little bit more pointed solution. Um, but I, I do feel with the onset of some of the things that have kind of broke loose here lately that uh, we're going to have quite an increase in what that's doing and the amount of savings you're going to see is going to be quite drastic. Right. And and there's a lot of things out there. Are initiating as the electrical design firms or contractors. This isn't something that your um, clients are asking you for. This is just, is this something they're expecting? Or you know, I guess I wanted to talk about that relationship. Is that something yeah. you're initiating or they're just asking like, hey, what are you doing on this front? This is what we're initiating right now. Okay. We've got some clients that are interested in what the future holds with some of this stuff. So they're asking some inquiring type questions. Uh, we've got probably some clients that are going to sit back and wait and kind of see how the, the horizon plays out. And then when there's yeah. a, a more stable product that solves some problems for them, then they'll probably get on board. And I see that happening a lot in our, in the trade as well. So contractors are looking at it the same way. Okay. I guess if I could, what I, what I would add is that the, um, the clients are not necessarily coming to the engineering companies and asking for, uh, can you use AI in your designs? Can you, can you make it uh -huh. better, stronger, faster using technology? But I think what we're seeing is that there's so much work out there and there is such a dearth of skilled people in the industry right now. Right. There, we need to get more productive with the workforce that we have. We need the engineering schools to crank out more engineers. We need the individual engineers to be more productive. We need the junior folks to get experienced quickly. So it's really kind of, in my mind, it's kind of a, almost like a labor thing where the industry, there's so much work to be done that we are, we are struggling to get it all done. I don't know if the rest of the panel would agree. Yeah, this is Josh, and I would agree with that. That's what really started us down this path. The, mm -hmm. the BEM VDC side of things, our PMs, our leaders, they really like what we're doing. They like how things are going, but they want more, and they want more in less time. And just the sheer amount of people to bring into that, it, it's getting harder and harder to find those people. I think um, an, an interesting thing you asked about, client expectations or even like I would expand it to worker expectations. And yeah. the, an interesting thing is that this is all so complicated, like one inch below the surface. This is really, really complex. And so what happens is no one really understands what's happening. <laughs> and in an environment like that, people start to believe in magic, like they expect magic, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's some of what's happening right now is that people see like chat GPT and large language models are amazing, but they're also hundreds of billions of parameters and hundreds of millions of dollars in development. And that's just at a totally different scale than what's going to be possible for any given company. 
but so, um, such a good way to put it people don't know that yet true. Right? like oh just do it like yeah it just happens yeah it's like when the matrix came out everybody was like i want to can my movie or my commercial, my car commercial look more matrixy? Like, no, that's really hard to do that. It's expensive. You can't just do it, right? So does anybody else have any pilot? I know Josh talked about his pilot program, or I don't know if Aaron, if you wanted to speak onto that pilot program, because you were involved with that as well as like what kind of outcomes were happening and what kind of productivity gains you were seeing or any kind of specific electrical examples. Sure. Yeah. So we've been working with another design partner out in Florida. It's an electrical contractor. Um, so what we've been doing really now is working on uh, historical projects. So these are projects where the customer has done the design already. There's baselines in place around the design and the time required to produce that design. So we've been working with a large contractor in Florida. They presented about us uh, or about this case study recently at NECA. And essentially what we did was we took our technology and applied it to the design of a hospital. So we broke it up floor by floor. And what we're able to do is to take a floor of this hospital, get the conduit routed, coordinated, modeled. So this is something that would take them three to four days per floor, and we're able to do it in about three hours. So them projecting forward, looking at the overall design time that they put on that project, they're thinking they can take about six weeks of design time and cut that down to two hours. So this is still early days, right? We're still running these very first pilots. We're learning as we go and improving the tool as we go. But I think it sort of shows a bit of a glimpse as to what this would be able to enable at scale and uh, and would likely help a lot with some of the labor challenges that we're seeing on the VDC side. Mm -hmm. And one thing I'll say sort of on the previous theme that we talked about is I don't know if this is necessarily driven so much by customer demand. I'm in full agreement with everyone here. It really is a lot of internal pressure, right? So every contractor that we talk to they're having trouble finding these folks. We've talked to a number of contractors who have had VDC uh, positions open for a year, haven't been able to fill them. But I think what we're also gonna see is really on the other end of the spectrum. So we've been talking to developers who are really interested. They're saying, we would never use this ourselves, but we really want our engineers to use this. We wanna make sure our contractors use this because it gets the job done faster. But for example, if an engineer is using this tool, it allows us to get a lot more certainty into how our building is actually gonna look, how much it's gonna cost, how it's gonna perform way earlier than we normally would in the design process. So I think you're gonna see um, sort of internal pressures and external pressure or external demand, but maybe not from the places you would have normally expected. That's gonna, I think, drive the adoption of, of, of this once it's uh, sort of at a scale and maturity where it's broadly useful. Yeah, and I will add to Aaron there, the, uh, the pilots that we've been been running with and the projects that we've been tested on uh, a lot of the same thing it's historical projects projects that we've completed already and we're running it on you know, floors or areas and the savings that you're talking about there is not uncommon we're 70 percent 80 percent reduction in hours across those different areas for the same amount of work wow was this something i know this is just me being um not understanding it fully i'm sure um, when you, as an engineering firm, work with some of these different vendors and providers to do these solutions, is this something that they specifically work with you customize, or this isn't something that's at a point yet where it's like this um, over this tool that anyone can go get, anyone can go to the store and buy this AI tool? Obviously, it's not at that point. So, is this something where 
you have to be worked with specifically in your company and how you do things and, and all that, or is this more of an approach? Aaron might be able to talk to this, how, you know, this could be used by anyone, any of these electrical design firms, or is this something that's very unique and specific as far as the customization? So I can give my perspective on this in terms of how we're approaching it as a company. It really is a tool that you can go and buy. So it generates solutions in the cloud, but it plugs right into Revit. You start off in Revit, generate the solutions with our tool, pick a solution that you're happy with, and then push it back into Revit. It builds it using your part family. So it looks just like a design that you would have produced yourself, but got you there in a couple hours or days instead of weeks. Yeah. Okay. It's the, so I'll say like, we're, uh, we do a lot of design. Um, we have, you know, thousands of projects going at, uh -huh. at any given time. So I think we have a pretty big, I have a pretty big target on me. <laughs> so it's every day somebody tells me that they have a product that I could buy to just plug right. in and start doing it. And I haven't oh. found very many of those yet. Oh, okay. So I think they exist and I think that's yeah. where we will get to, but they all come with a bunch of like, well, if you work this way, caveats, right? Uh -huh. And you stack all those up, there's too many caveats and they right. can't make them work together. Dustin, I would add as well, uh, sorry to interrupt you, Josh, and I see I got a comment there. Um, our engineers also have a, a voice in that. They have something to say about changing their work process, about right. doing things differently. And it can be difficult to get that mindset driven into the business as well. So people are willing to accept these new ways of doing things, especially, Aaron, you would have seen this, when it's not perfect out of the gate. And it requires a bunch of like refinement and evolution to kind of get it there. What kind of buy-in have you had? Has it been difficult to get? I mean, it's difficult. I work with engineers every day and they can be difficult, especially when you're rewriting their articles. Um, uh, so, you know, I know that it can be a difficult group to work with sometimes. How are they, um, how are they uh, dealing with that? Just kind of the overall overwhelming nature of this huge shift. But we, mm -hmm. we started this journey in 2019 when we really yeah. identified labor shortages in the market and kind of where things were going. So we, I was asked as the, you know, incoming at the time, uh, uh, CTIO, figure out how we can do this work without having enough people, right? right? Like, how do we grow? How do we meet the market needs without being able to just simply go hire hundreds of people more kind of thing? So we, and I'll tell you, in 2019, I had absolutely zero take up from the company. I remember the presentation that I made, it was November of 2019, and it was like in drop in the room, like, what are you talking about? you know, RPA and generative AI and what, what is this stuff? Um, fast forward three, four years post COVID and all the rest. And I'll tie this to your prior question, Ellen. We have run several pilots, some of which are now operationalized. So I've got a water team who actually has generative design software they use to produce 30% designs for wastewater. We're about to move into water as well. And this is where things get a little bit interesting. They've got energy uh, you know, on offer and they do substation work, which I am hugely interested in. And uh -huh. it is only greenfield substation design, which is practically 0% of our work. All yeah. of our stuff is brownfield, it's existing infrastructure. So the technology companies, you know, it's just what Dustin was saying. They have a very specific approach. Just use this. Just, just, just do it this way. And my engineers are like, I can't use that tool right now. It's very cool, but I cannot use it. Mm -hmm. So we've, we've seen sort of a variety uh, of like uptake. I, I think it's getting much, much better right now. Okay. The place I'm being most successful actually is not on the engineering side, but in places like business development and marketing where I'm mm -hmm. able to, I've now run a pilot and I'm deploying large language model chat GPT style um, services, and we are about to save hundreds of labor hours 
in proposal development, in writing resumes, in writing marketing, you know, text, that kind of thing. Wow. Okay. And I would, I'd probably say that a lot of our buy-in comes from the act of making somebody's job easier. You know, mm-hmm. if, if you can start to work with the people and say, hey, here's, here's some of the changes that are going to be required. Because right. at the end of the day, everybody's not going to be able to hang on to exactly how they do things today. It's going to change. It's going to be different. So we got to work with people at their level, where they're at with that change and, and uh, kind of feel your way through that. Uh, but as you start to show some of those things, especially when you have some of those nuances of, yeah, this isn't going to be perfect today. It's not going to be exact today. Uh, that's stuff that's still working on, still in development. Um, when they start to get the glimmer that, oh man, this is a little bit easier. The quality is a little bit better. I don't have to go back and check nearly as much and be worried about something getting missed as, as often. Uh, that starts to help with that change management piece a lot. Right. Like not knowing what you don't know. Um, so what kind of reaction have you had though? Obviously like people are scared of things they don't know, the unknown. And, you know, I think a lot of electrical professionals are worried about, um, you know, AI putting them out of a job. And like, what do you say to that? Like maybe that fear is subsiding a little bit now that, like you say, if they see the examples of what this is doing and how it's saving them time or whatever, it's not going to be as, you know, scary that, oh, you know, they're getting rid of all the humans. Yeah. It's, um, but yeah, you know, my answer to that is like, uh, I don't know, you know, but we're going to be way better off understanding and trying to implement it than not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if, if you want to lose your job, I would say you should ignore this and then you'll get beaten <laughs> by somebody who didn't. So, so Dustin, that's an awesome point. Um, Ellen, one of the things that I think the whole industry needs to understand is that this disruption is coming. Mm-hmm. And if you're not ready for it, part of it, like figuring it out, it's going to happen to you. Right. Your employees will go elsewhere who, you know, went to companies that have got it figured out. Our customers will start hiring people who can do things faster and cheaper because they're leveraging technology. It'll take a while for that to evolve. But that's that's very much, uh, you know, uh, front and center for us. I, I treat AI generally as augmentative. So it helps people. You'll hear Microsoft and others use the co-pilot term. It's very much meant to be with the mem- with the employee, with the mm-hmm. with the engineer. And then the last way that I sell it and that I think people like, this ties to what Josh was saying a minute ago, uh, the industry started to start to identify like removing what they call remove drudgery and toil elimination. Get rid of those tasks that no one wants to do. Those those rote things that right now we 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 kind of solve it a little bit by using templates and by reusing old designs and that sort of thing. There are better ways to do that now. And I think that's gonna be a big focus. And I think the younger engineers, especially are going to be all over like, yes, with technology, get rid of the drudgery, right? Okay. A couple of you mentioned this, and I personally don't understand this, so I'm sure there's a lot of listeners that don't understand either. When you're talking about this generative AI, how is that? what does that actually mean? And how is that different from just like, it's not chat GPT, like you said, and different things. What does the generative AI mean? And how does that relate to the construction industry? So... We've been talking at, at Interstates, how we've been talking about it with, with a lot of our project teams and stuff. And the generative piece of it is where we're taking some of that raw, raw data, raw information. So here's the parts and pieces that we need to use per the client's spec. Here's the location of where these motors or devices are going to be. Here's where the starter's at. That's kind of some raw, raw information. Now, based on some of the different rules and pricings and 
and uh, what fittings and parts and pieces are available or what areas you're in, the system will then compile uh, a number of different probable outcomes or probable solutions that you can then pick from. So it's kind of creating, creating those from your raw data. So that's, that's how we've been, been kind of talking about that. I'm sure there's much better technical terms and, and details out there. Uh, we just try to keep it pretty simple. Yeah, thank you. Sorry, I would sort of define this as really understanding that generative AI is ultimately a bit of a marketing term, but it basically refers to a set of machine learning techniques that allow you to generate large amounts of net new content given a, a comparatively smaller input, right? So when you put a prompt into ChatGPT, it is spitting out something substantially more and it's building on what you input. This is in contrast with, let's say, more traditional, as in they're not all that old, but more traditional models, which are really more predicated on prediction. And those are some of the examples that we saw where you're feeding it data that is labeled and then you're giving it some new data and it's returning a new label for you. That's really the way the automated takeoff tools work, right? You feed them some symbols on a drawing and then they're predicting what each of those symbols would be. So in practice, and I think particularly in our industry, what you're gonna see is that sort of underneath the hood, maybe we're using different technologies than you're seeing in, uh, again, sort of the public domain. So it's not all gonna be large language models. It's not all going to be these image models, but fundamentally, I think what matters is that it's a set of technologies that enable a workflow where the computer that you're working with is proactively generating something net new based on your input, as opposed to simply automating a very sort of rote, let's say labeling task. It's, Ellen, it's creating, right? And it, it, it is also evolving a little bit, like the, the parametric tools that have been around for a long time have been doing some stuff that's like this, very much like Aaron is describing though. What's really curious about the big models that have, that have just had billions invested in them, like you know, the, the open AI stuff, right? But ChatGPT, that model is doing things now that they didn't train it to do, right? It has learned languages and can translate them and they never trained it on that. So we're moving into this new phase of like, what is generative AI? It can create things in many cases based on all this training we've done, but in some other cases, it's getting so big. And of course, there are all kinds of concerns about the thing training itself, training on the wrong data, on bias. All mm -hmm. those things are front and center as well. Um, there's even a debate right now as to whether the, the, the open AI type stuff is the front end of what is called general AI, which is like human level AI. Most people think still, no, not there. But the fact that it's able to ha show a little bit of agency from time to time doing things has people wondering. So that kind of relates, uh, kind of leads into, you know, all these things we're talking about. How does that relate to security? That's obviously going to be a huge issue. What kinds of issues are we looking at as far as data security as it relates to our electrical market and the types of applications you're going to be using this for? That's a really tricky question. Um, so first of all, you have to know what data you need secured mm -hmm. <laughs> because some of these things, like I use chat GPT all the time and I don't count on it to be secure because I'm not asking it anything that matters. Right. So it's not like all data has to be secured. So using public models or connecting to APIs, which uh, is a connection to another company's software has the potential to push your data into their system 
and then therefore you have no control over that data. So things for us like addresses of uh, a new retail location, like those are things that companies want to keep private because it's it's their personal information until the store is being built. They don't want people to know the markets they're going into. And there's little things like that that we don't want to just cause these leaks of of data out into other systems in a way that somebody could start to mine it through the prompts they're asking chat GPT or uh-huh. something like that. Okay. So it's, it's more of an unknown than a, here's a whole list of problems that this have caused. Um, but what we're trying to do is focus on keeping our data inside our environment and not having to push out to other environments because you just increase the surface area, huge for loss of data. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what what we're seeing right now, especially around the chat GPT that everybody really likes to talk about, you just got to understand what, what are you putting into it? What is the system doing with what you put into it? Mm-hmm. Uh, some assumptions early that you know it's confined to whatever I'm doing. Okay. Really, it's not. It's going to take that as part of its overall data model, and, and it's available to everybody. Uh, knowing that, then you're going to see a lot more of the contractors, whoever it may be, doing, uh, doing more of their own data model, keeping it separate. Uh, I'll echo this very quickly. Um, I'll echo very quickly what uh, Josh and, and everyone else just said. From our side, the top two concerns are, um, are you training on my data? And if so, that's not necessarily, there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but I want to understand that means you're storing my data. Are we sure that you're storing it securely? And do I have control over that? Can I remove it if I need to? And, and things like that. So it's certainly something to investigate and to really deeply understand if you're going to work with a vendor. But the second concern is really around, you know, am I going to risk something proprietary about the way I do things leaking out and being accessible to, for example, my competitors? And I think to really get to the root of that, you need to have a deep conversation with the vendor that you're talking to, to really understand how exactly are they using that data? What is their intention behind it? Um, are they using it actually for training? What aspects of your data are going to be used in that training? And is that a risk where there's something about either, as examples, the design of my building or some thing that I just don't want leaked suddenly appearing? And we've seen examples of this with ChatGPT. You know, I think it's really important to have a, at least a pretty good understanding of how their system works and how they're using your data and what their intention is with it um, to make the decision as to whether that's something that you actually feel comfortable with and whether the value risk trade-off is there for you. I would add only that, um, you know, there's agree 100% with everything folks have said. We look at it very much like what type of data is it that we're talking about that we would be putting into the model, whether it's confidential or like Dustin was saying, you know, we've actually set it up so that if people want to use certain AI tools, they can, provided they're not open, open AI tool, tools that are like public, as long as they're not putting anything sensitive in there. All the way up to like our federal work, where we can't even put that into a cloud system that isn't FedRAMP certified, right? So one thing we definitely see is a lot of the smaller players are obviously not FedRAMP certified. So we're limited in certain markets that can do, you know, what, what we can do with that data. The other side of the coin here, especially Aaron for like, like you guys, if we don't provide the data from the industry, the models don't get as smart as they could be. So picture like you're working with one company and it's learning what their practices are. Suddenly let's work with a thousand companies and understand what those practices are and they get way smarter. So I think the industry is not very mature around this stuff yet. 
Security is huge. Uh, there's value in data. We haven't figured any of that out yet. There's a reason why the tech industry values the data so much, like yep. the Facebooks, the Elon Musk, the, all that yeah. stuff. They place a huge value on data. And I think even Elon might have said it's more valuable than gold. There's a reason why they see it that way. I, don't quote me on that, but I think he said that. Yeah. Um, the things that we're coaching people to watch out for is like, can you summarize this kind of questions that seem really innocuous, but like what you're asking it to summarize means that all your data has to go through the system, like summarizing meeting notes and that kind of stuff. It seems like you're not letting a lot go when you, when you do that, but you potentially could be. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I want to talk, go back to one point. Um, I think Dustin, you, you mentioned this initiated when you were talking about, um, you know, who are you going to have in charge of this <laughs> initiative AI or what team of people like, so I don't know that our, our industry is, like you said, it's not mature thinking of it in those terms. Like, so are, are these types of electrical firms, are we, are they going to be hiring AI experts? Like who are the people in charge of this? Are you training your people to learn this? Or are you bringing in like tech experts um, for this, you know, groundbreaking technology, how to implement it in your firm, your industry? Like how, how do you see that shaking out as far as who's leading this evolution? Sure. Uh... Everyone on this call would agree that we're special and irreplaceable, right? Like uh -huh. <laughs> what you need Absolutely. is somebody with a- That's why you're a, on this podcast. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. We should be paid double, right? right. Uh, so you need someone with a, a engineering and construction, a design and construction background, but that mm -hmm. is interested in technology. Okay. Or you could go the other way around, but I think that's probably okay. a lot harder to find. So mm -hmm. I think what you need is someone who understands how to apply things and then you hire expertise in okay. the specific things underneath them. But the decision of what's a good use case for technology, I think is going to come from somebody that was in the industry that's interested in the technology. Uh, the so do you have people within your different areas of um, expertise that are kind of the, you know, leading the charge? Like, you know, John was talking about wastewater or whatever area it is, if it's power or hospitals, whatever area, you know, vertical markets you're working in, how, how are you handling that? Or is there someone you're structuring it to where you have a department that is, is trickling down into all these other areas? We're, we're at Stanley, we're taking the, the ladder approach where we are centralizing some AI smarts and Dustin nailed it. And these people are hard to find people uh -huh. who know the AEC space and who have like a real technology bent They've kind of had a foot in in both areas for their careers. It can be people who have been deep into like BIM and Revit and that sort of thing for a while. Okay. Um, but each of our individual, we have four markets, and on each of our markets, we do not have like an expert in each area. So I'm having to reach into those areas and set up pilots, introduce technology, and I'm trying to make it a two way street as well. So they bring ideas forward, uh, mm -hmm. you know, to the up to the you know to, to the level of the you know the T and I group that I run. Um, but it's you know we're early days for this stuff. Technology companies right now, like the Microsofts and all the Silicon Valley companies are really expecting major disruption on this stuff and are hiring like directors and chiefs of AI today. Yeah. I, I think it'll take the, the, um, the AEC industry a little while before we get to that level. Mm -hmm. But I think having leadership and like a program around this, these types of tools is really required right now. Figure it out. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the approach we've taken. We've got kind of a innovations R&D department, and, and they've got some focus in that. And some of those ideas are coming up from the different 
different markets, offer category teams, uh, project teams, whatever it may be. But they're the ones that are kind of filtering that, figuring out what, what has the most potential and value kind of come, coming out from that direction. I, um, I want to add one thing. Like, sure. it's you need to start with the mindset that this is hard. Uh, if you if you think like it's easy we need to get a person to go pick up all the easy things and apply them to our business like it's <laughs> you're just not going to have much success so it needs to be something that someone invests personal energy and understanding and mm -hmm. then there are easy use cases there are quick wins but you can't just do it as part of your other job and, and find them it's a it's real work right right yes and that person has to have a lot of grit yes yeah. Mm -hmm. It takes time and a ton of effort. We're going to have to set up a uh, regular scheduled meeting for this so we can check in to see how things are changing. Because <laughs> this is so fascinating to me. I know our listeners are going to be just really, really interested in this. Um, could keep talking about this forever. So we need to kind of wrap things up. We're getting close um, to end of time. I have one final comment, um, and it gets to what Dustin was saying about how hard this all is. Uh, about the value of all this and how engineering companies can commercialize it. So in other mm -hmm. words, if we're going to spend a lot of, spend hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars on software inside of each company on these types of tools, how do we get paid for that? You know, we're not selling labor anymore. Mm -hmm. So there, there's a big commercial piece of this that we have to figure out. And it's also a place where most of the smaller AI companies that are engineering focused, so not the big chat GPTs, the little guys who have like a niche product and are trying to solve a very specific thing, they're struggling to figure out how much they should charge for their product because they don't know how much it's really worth to the engineering company. And mm -hmm. you can do some high level math and say, you can replace 10 people with this. So I'm going to charge a million dollars a year for this thing. Well, right. the engineering company is not going to lay off 10 people, right? So we mm -hmm. have to figure out where the value is. We have not done that yet. That's a, one of the hardest parts from my mind is the commercialization of this stuff. Okay. Um, Great point. Yeah, and I think working through that really... Yeah, I think earlier you might even said there's there's piles of work out there. So I'm not going to lay 10 off, but I'm going to be able to take on a whole lot more work. Correct. Uh, uh -huh. And how we handle that, uh, even how some of this stuff, we've talked a lot about how it's going to impact our internal teams and our people or engineers, but even talking about how it changes the interaction with the clients and the customers. You know, a lot of times, even design, build, or IP projects, you're working with your binary customer and you are working kind of one design or one philosophy and you're kind of tweaking it along the way to meet some of their, their wants or for sure their needs. Um, but you give them a round number kind of at the start. Here's a, here's an ROM. Start to work that design. At some point you get so far through it, you are finishing as close as you can to that number, but it's not, the same buying experience as you have everywhere else in your life. Uh, as you start to get into some of this stuff, you can change that interaction with your client. Hey, here's some options. This one here can get installed a little bit faster, but the materials are more, or the maintainability isn't as, as, uh, as easy as one might like it. But here's another one that is a lot more maintainable, but the install is going to take a little longer. Client, what is valuable to you? What would you like? Uh -huh. uh, you know, changing that client interaction, that experience, and giving them a different, different level of interaction, I think is going to be huge for, for how we leverage that and move forward with it. I would echo what John said there. I think that if you're thinking about 
truly investing in these types of tools, you need to think beyond just cost or time reduction. I think that those can be enablers for you, but mm-hmm. it's not, if the tool is truly successful and it does what it says on the tin, then all of your competitors are going to be using it within a year or two anyway. So then what, what's your strategy then? It's really about how are you using this new capability to operate in a fundamentally new way as a company? So Josh's example is great. He's suggesting things that maybe a contractor normally wouldn't be able to do, right? And it allows them to operate as a consultant in a way that maybe a contractor normally wouldn't be able to do. And I think those are great examples of being able to look ahead and say, well, if the industry is here in two years, how, how are we operating in a different way? Um, and not just about you know cutting our, our, our costs and, and the time it takes for us to deliver the exact same thing. Yes, 100%. I say that all the time that um, the goal is not to make more digital paper. (laughs) Like our goal is to go up and down the value chain. Like we sit in a unique spot. We know what will be built six to nine months before it's built. So what do you do with that information is the real question. And then you use all these tools to get more of that information and to lower the cost of collecting the information so that you can make more money off of knowing that. Uh Like that's a key piece of data in the supply chain and in the whole construction process. And everybody needs to figure out where they sit and what they know before someone else knows it. Cause that's how you, you build a new company on top of that. Absolutely. One, one thought I had was in preparing for this podcast, I looked up that image that you referenced at the start. Yeah. And uh, so the chat GPT finishes building that yeah. apparently came from a recruitment firm and I think what they actually meant by that billboard was almost tongue in cheek. It was implying that ChatGPT cannot finish this building because it's a recruitment firm that specializes in recruiting for trades. And so I think there's something in that and it sort of goes to that question of, mm-hmm. well, what is the future of my job gonna look like? Right. It's gonna look very different, but that job is still gonna be there. And you know, one example that we think about is in a separate industry, chips, the way chips are designed, like CPUs. Like no one is manually tracing out millions of lines of silicon and placing Mm -hmm. transistors in the design of a modern CPU. They used to, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. But really since the 80s, that's entirely automated, but there's no shortage of work for electrical engineers in that space. And I think we're going to see the same thing here in this industry. It's really about the things that I take for granted. I spend six out of my six hours, you know, out of my eight hour day on. Well, now I'm spending one hour on that, but I'm doing, I still have very much a full day, just like we all have very full days. Um, but it's, right. I'm just doing different things and hopefully things that are actually more valuable and more productive and more important than, uh, you know, I've been able to do before. That is just so interesting. It is hard to wrap your mind around. It definitely is mine. Um, you know, journalism has changed. Obviously, it, it goes right. into what, you know, we do with writing and editing and all of that. So it's just going to be really exciting to see what happens. And you all are obviously pioneers in this. And uh, some of the things you've said have been so interesting. I will definitely use those. And I hope we can get back together maybe at a later time and, you know, see how things have changed. So it looks like we're about out of time for today. I want to thank our guests so much, the group of industry experts, for sharing their insight, industry knowledge, and experiences with us today on the key trends in AI and the electrical construction design installation and maintenance space. In closing, I'd also like to thank our managing editor, Ellie Coggins, and editor, Michael Morris, for editing, putting these podcasts together. For more information, visit our website at ecmweb.com. This podcast is produced by ECNM Magazine, part of the portfolio of Endeavor Business Media Publications. Well, I think that's it for now. I'm Ellen Parsons, signing off of ECNM On Air. 
Please let me know if you have any podcast topics you'd like to listen to in the future. And don't forget to check out our website for more content resources for electrical construction professionals. Thank you and have a great day.